Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we're going to be talking about Season 7, Episode 14, Plucky Pennywhistle's Magical Menagerie. Written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, and directed by Mike Roll. Have I mentioned that I love this episode? Because I do. At this point in Season 7 especially, it's a reprieve. All the Monster of the Week episodes to this point have just been pounding on Dean, and for once, Sam takes the brunt of the pounding, but in a way we can all laugh at a little bit. Or at least I can. I do understand that the fandom in general is not as firmly on my side about this one, but at the very least, I think we can all agree that some truly magnificent gifts have come from this one, if nothing else. We get to confront Sam and Dean's internalized fears through the medium of real childhood fears brought to life. We all know Sam has a thing with clowns, which are used extensively as a Lucifer metaphor throughout canon. To me, that makes this episode's use of imaginary clowns made real while Sam is still struggling with his Lucifering, that is, not actually plagued in his mind by the real Lucifer, but by a somewhat cartoonish and imaginary version of the real thing that still has the power to hurt him badly. Well, that's pretty on the nose for this episode, isn't it? It's an interesting way to flog Sam about this without directly flogging him with the hallucinations. So if Sam's childhood fear is clowns, Lucifer, demon-related things, What fear of Dean's do we discover here? I don't know if it's a fear so much as it is his childhood responsibility to Sam to care for and protect his brother, as we learn that Dean used to dump Sam at Plucky's, and in Sam's words, would then go trolling for girls. But is that what Dean actually did? Or as I've always liked to imagine, was Dean just desperate to not have to be responsible for Sam for a little while? so that he could be a kid himself, while he knew that Sam was in a relatively safe place for a few hours. He would get fed, he would be entertained, there were other kids there for Sam to just be normal for a few hours. You know, not have to be dragged around and burdened by Dean. In Dean's mind, this would have been a reprieve for Sam as well. That notion, though, inspired a fic I wrote a bunch of years back called Dean's Days Off, which I'll link in the notes for this one. Even if Dean really was just spending a few hours with some random girl, though, it had to be a relief to him to have that burden of watching Sam constantly, lifted, even for a little while. But there's also a far more interesting level of that story to explore as well. Yes, the antagonist of this one was lashing out at bad parents who shouldn't have left him alone, in charge of his brother, who drowned while he watched helplessly, a burden that Dean had foisted upon him in his childhood, too, and which he's also currently struggling with while watching Sam drown in his hallucifering, and feeling helpless to save him. But the antagonist also only began lashing out when he was denied his own fully adult dream of getting that manager job at Plucky's. So what dream is Dean being denied? The Rainbow Slinky. 
I mean, when Dean opens the episode swearing off women for life after his experience with the Amazon last week, we get Dean exploring his lifelong desire for a rainbow slinky that he was never allowed to have. That freedom from responsibility, freedom to explore his own wants and desires, where's Dean's unicorn, you know? But I think that once you understand that framing of this episode, the rest is pretty straightforward in a cartoon logic kind of way. So we're going to enjoy this one for what it is, and I'll leave all the sad Dean posting for the links in the post for this one. I'm probably lying about that. I'm going to have sad Dean feelings regardless, but I'll try to keep them to a reasonable minimum. So all that said, as Season 2, Episode 2, Everybody Loves a Clown is starting on the TNT loop right now as I prepare this episode... Let's get right into the then segment. We begin with Frank asking Dean when the last time he really slept was, and Dean dismissing it in favor of getting to work. And that really sums up Dean's current running on physical and emotional fumes state of mind. We then cut to flashes of violence interspersed with Dean's night of passion with the Amazon lady. From there, we shoot all the way back to season two and Sam's dislike of, or, okay, his deep-seated fear of clowns, but especially killer clowns. And that brings us to now. Much like how season four, episode six, Yellow Fever, which was incidentally Dab's first episode of Supernatural, but like that episode opened with Dean running in terror from a Yorkie dog, we now open with Sam running in terror from clowns. He ducks down behind a car and mutters to himself over and over, they can't hurt you, and if it bleeds, you can kill it. And we, the viewer, might think, oh, this is about his hallucinations. Is he falling back into that? But nope. These are just nightmares brought to life by dark magic. Sam breaks into a garage and barricades himself in, but that doesn't stop the clowns from barging in, much like his Lucifer hallucinations. It's already getting clearer that Sam's squeeze-the-hand trick isn't going to work forever. Remember, clowns are metaphorically Lucifer or Lucifer-adjacent things on this show. And I do appreciate that link, because Lucifer is a freaking clown. We then cut to the glitterific splat of a title card, and I always forget just how many special title cards Season 7 had. We open the episode 60 hours earlier, and the countdown to Clownageddon begins. Sam's paging through a newspaper while Dean's using a payphone to call Frank and see if he's made any progress on getting to Dick. And as Sam says, we got dick on dick. Poor Dean has to endure this. But to tie this into the previous episode, they also have no leads on the Amazons and assume they won't until they resurface in two years. But Sam has found another case in Kansas, which Dean agrees to work as long as there are no babies, no baby mamas, no bars, no booze, no chicks of any kind. He has sworn off women and is putting all his energy into finding Dick instead. I just can't get over this. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Sam tries to tease Dean about this, and Dean just snarks back about monster babies, like, you spawn a monster baby and see how fast you want to jump back in the pool. Don't ever let anyone tell you season seven isn't stuffed to bursting with queer metaphors all pinned to Dean. At the coroner's office, they see a body covered with huge round welts, supposedly caused by a 30-foot-long octopus, which aren't exactly native to Kansas. So the assumption is the marks were created to look like an octopus attack. The coroner calls it a fetish attack, before the attacker bled the victim out through a big wound in his neck. Sam and Dean believe and agree that it was a vampire bite, or looked very much like one, and we get Dean doing his favorite thing of naming monsters. Octovamp. Vamptopus. And yeah, this is crazy, even for them. They ask the man's widow the usual cold spots and sulfur smell questions, but nothing has been weird at their home. When Dean asks if anyone might wish him harm, the widow turns sour and tells them to talk to their nanny since she'd been there when he died. As they leave, we get a shot of a little girl listening in from the top of the stairs. In typical supernatural fashion, I think we're already supposed to be suspecting the creepy children angle, and I do appreciate how this episode turns that expectation on its head. I also appreciate the house number is 667, like it's across the street from Satan, but not actually Satan's house. Like all of this is tangential to Sam's hallucinations and problems with reality lately, but not exactly that. Nice job to Jerry, Wanick, and crew, as usual, for details like that. While I was staring at the house numbers, I nearly missed their conversation as they leave the house. They're pretty much united on believing the mother killed the husband out of jealousy, believing that there's an affair between him and the nanny, but they have no idea why she would do that, or especially perhaps why make it look like an octopus attack. Since someone needs to talk to the nanny, Sam volunteers. But Dean says no, he'll do it, leaving Sam behind to watch the house. Sam can't understand. He thought Dean was sworn off hot chicks. And Dean replies that he, they don't have any idea if the babysitter is hot. At the nanny's place, we learn that, yes, she is attractive, but also that Dean is behaving perfectly normally and professionally toward her. She was not having an affair with the victim, rarely even dealt with him, but since the mother was out of town that night, she was there for the little girl, Kelly, while the father worked late. The girl was upset because it had been her birthday, and her parents didn't even bother to really show up for her. Another kid at her birthday party teased her about it, saying her parents didn't really love her. They just shoved this whole party off on the nanny and sent all the kids to Plucky Penny Whistles, a pizza chain for, quote, lazy parents, the nanny says. And we already sort of feel the judgment on Dean's parenting skills coming out in that line as he struggles to recall why Plucky's sounds familiar. The nanny also tells him Kelly has a long-standing fear that there's a monster in her closet, which apparently, quote, drives everyone crazy. And that's something else that sounds horribly familiar to Dean. I mean, season one, episode nine, home, right? Lots of monsters in his personal closets. 
Dean calls Sam on his way out to tell him the mom is the wrong target. The daughter is mad because her father ditched her birthday. Sam's watching the little girl make sidewalk art and agrees to try to talk to her. Maybe it's a birthday wish gone horribly wrong. The girl looks nervous, but she knows who Sam is and that she's not allowed to talk to him. And her mother would be mad if she did, because she told the police she tried to warn her father that the monster would get him. The monster in her closet that drives everybody crazy every time she mentions it. That's all Sam gets before the mother comes out and calls the girl inside. But then Sam sees what she'd been drawing. A giant vampire octopus. That cannot be a coincidence. We then cut to later that night. A man in his pajamas running through the woods being chased by a horse. He jumps a fence, believes he's safe, and leans back against it, only to be impaled through the wooden fence. After he falls dead to the ground, we see it wasn't a horse at all, but a magical unicorn with a shimmery horn who farts out a trail of glittery rainbows as it runs off. We then cut back to now, as Sam is back in the garage fighting off the clowns. Every punch and kick lands with a honking noise sound effect, but he repeats the mantra, if it bleeds, you can kill it, and shoots one of the clowns. There's no blood, just explosions of glitter as the clowns laugh at him and attack again. We cut back to 36 hours and 36 minutes earlier, as Dean checks out the scene of the unicorn attack that has the cops baffled. They get the hoof prints, but have no idea what impaled the man. Dean talks to his widow when he learns that they have a son who's in school right now and asks if yesterday may have been her son's birthday. The birthday wishes gone wrong angle quickly morphs into the pluckies is a source of evil angle when she reveals that he went to a friend's birthday party there. Dean finally calls Sam and asks if he remembers plucky penny whistles. Sam tries to deny it and Dean doesn't believe him. He thought Sam loved those places. Sam replies that he hated them, that Dean dumped him there and went trolling for chicks and Dean replies that he thought those places were supposed to be fun. Sam lets out a litany of all the ways they were actually terrible. Smelled like puke. The ice cream was all grainy. Dean turns the conversation back to the case because the kids of both victims were there the day of their father's deaths. Dean tells Sam to go check out Plucky's and ask about the son of the latest victim, and Sam tries to make Dean do it but Dean has to go talk to the kid himself. Sam wants to do that part, but Dean asks if this is about Sam's clown thing. Sam again tries to deny it, but he looks scared. Dean can't understand Sam's fear, because 99.99% of all clowns can't hurt you, and if it bleeds, you can kill it. And that's where Sam gets his mantra from. Unfortunately, though, most of the clowns at Plucky's don't bleed at all. They're all fake. Paintings. Animatronic robots. But not an actual stabbable guy at first. We'll see one in a little bit. But, you know, Sam doesn't even attempt to stab that guy. 
Thank goodness, probably, because he's just an innocent guy. But Sam adopts the mantra we've been seeing since the cold open. Poor thing. The outside of Plucky's has a painted banner reading, Where all of your dreams are good. And who boy. Sam's probably got a lifetime of nightmares churning around in there about this place. Kind of makes me wonder what Lucifer is mocking about right now, you know? Since Lucifer, again, is our biggest clown. Sam sits in the car for a moment, psyching himself up to go inside, and mutters, I'm too old for this. Is he talking about the place itself? About his fear of the clowns in there? Or for his lifetime grudge against the time he was forced to spend there as a kid? Maybe all three. The clerk greets him when he walks in, and Sam's doing a banner job of holding himself together in the face of so many clowns staring at him like that. He asks for the manager, and then walks past an evil-looking red-eyed clown robot, and I'm with Sam, that thing needs to die. While he's waiting, he sees another employee with the only sad-looking kid in the place. Her son, who doesn't want to be there any more than Sam ever did... Poor kid only wants to do his homework, but it's too loud to concentrate, and the mom, Libby, looks about at the end of her rope. Sam also sees a wall of art where the kids are asked to draw their worst fears on placemats, so Plucky could make their fears disappear. There's sharks and witches and monsters, but the one labeled Kelly Harper is missing. The manager finally finds Sam and explains that they rotate the pictures out every week and don't post the truly evil stuff. Apparently, the owner of Plucky's believes in pop psychology that helping kids talk about their fears gives them a way to control them so those fears don't affect them into adulthood. And at that moment, Sam comes face to face with a guy finally dressed as Plucky and leans way back out of the way, and looks completely traumatized again. So maybe there is something in talking about your fears instead of just denying them, huh, Sammy? The manager remembers Billy as the conniption kid. The kid was fine, but his dad showed up to pull the kid away from the party before cake and presents. When the kid begged to stay five more minutes, the dad threw a fit, started screaming, and... She just felt embarrassed for the poor kid. Sam pulls out his phone, presumably to call Dean, when he is approached by a janitor, who goes all covert and tells Sam to meet him back there after closing. He apparently has information for Sam, but the guy looks super shifty. Back at their motel, Sam comes in to find Dean setting out Chinese food. Sam explains both victims were not up for parent of the year, and sets down a handful of the placemats with kids' art on them, and explains the concept of those placemats to Dean. One of the drawings is a leprechaun, and Dean knows from personal experience that they're deadly. From 6ix9ine, clap your hands if you believe. He's really, really not into any sort of fairy creatures. Sam explains that they label the wall with kids' names, and the two drawings that were missing were Kelly's and Billy's, the kids of our dead guys. So Kelly is afraid of Octovamp in her closet, but Dean pulls out the drawing Billy made for him. 
a unicorn impaling someone on its horn. But how are kids' drawings coming to life and killing people? Later that night at Plucky's, the manager is counting out the cash drawer, and the janitor is about to leave when she tells him a kid puked in the ball pit, and it needs a full sanitization before he can leave. As he stands hip-deep in rainbow-colored balls, sucking them into a huge vacuum tube, the balls at the other side of the pit start moving, circling around him like a shark, because that's what kills this guy in a play on Jaws. Sam and Dean pull up soon after to a crime scene. So much for getting any info from the guy. Dean checks out the wounds while Sam gets the story from the manager, who found the body in the ball pit. They believe that the ball washer did it. The what? The ball washer. The what? Sam rolls his eyes at Dean, who is sure it wasn't the ball washer. He shows Sam the wounds and lets the body go. It's a shark bite, and in Dean's expert opinion, at least a 20-footer. Sam raises an eyebrow at this, but Dean just judges Sam for not watching Shark Week, and therefore not knowing this. Inside Plucky's, Sam finds another missing drawing on the wall, belonging to a kid named Omar Cooper. If we were noticing these things when Sam saw this wall earlier, we might remember that it had been a picture of a shark. And if we hadn't noticed it earlier, I think the world can assume that it was a picture of a shark. But Omar wasn't related to the janitor, so why was he attacked? Because he was going to share something with Sam about the case, and clearly someone didn't want him to talk. This is both good, as progress in their case, but also awful, because apparently someone has the power to use childhood fears as a targeted weapon. The next day, outside Plucky's, Libby pulls up again with her son. They're running late, she can't drive him to school, and she gives him money for the bus. He complains about it, but she's harried and stressed. When they get out of the car, we hear ominous music as the camera pans inside the car to the drawing Tyler was making. A giant robot attacking a city, shooting laser beams from its eyes. We cut back to now as Sam's getting tossed around by the evil clowns again. He finally gets his hands on a tire iron and gets a few hits in before one starts juggling and closing in for another attack. We then jump back to four hours and 34 minutes earlier, back in their motel room. Dean can't find anything in the journal, and Sam's running out of ideas for what it could be as he searches online. Maybe a tulpa? Dean says no, the killings are too spread out. Maybe an angel? Dean argues it's a little too imaginative for those guys. So they have no idea what it could be, but they know where it is, at Plucky's, even though their sweep apparently turned up nothing. So now they're going back there so Sam can interview the employees, play bad cop, lean into them a little, while Dean gets stuck looking like a creepo loitering at Plucky's to keep an eye on everyone that Sam interviews. In a very weird way, this is a minor bit of revenge for Sam's entire childhood of Plucky's-related abandonment issues. I'm just pausing here for a second because I love Jerry Wanuck's motels. All of them, including this one. 
even if I have no idea what a tiki theme with hula girls has to do with Kansas, clowns, or anything else having to do with this case. Unless it's just that. Sam dreams of a world without clowns, Dean dreams of getting a break, a little R&R, toes in the sand, Hawaiian shirts, and drinks and coconuts. And yet, all they get is this fake version, with Chinese takeout. Some crappy motel in the middle of Kansas. Everything's fake in this episode. But truly, good on Sam for voluntarily choosing to confront his fears. He's practically a different person walking into Plucky's this time, putting himself into a position of authority and willingly returning there. He's got a mission now. Good for him. And Dean's concerned about not getting arrested for skeeving on kids. At Plucky's, Gene, the manager, who I neglected to mention earlier, is played by the same actress who plays the mother of the lost little boy that Cass helps save in 15-6 Golden Time, which isn't relevant to anything, it's just a fact about this actress. She's talking to an employee. It sounds like she's trying to quash rumors about what had happened. Sam crosses his arms and clears his throat, projecting confidence and authority. Jane seems stressed, trying to cope with what happened, on top of parents still apparently willing to bring their kids in, despite there having been a murder there. The ball pit is closed down, and she's been instructed to keep everything else running normally. Sam, though, is borderline hostile to her as he demands to talk to her employees, starting with her. Poor Dean is still there trying to look as nondescript and non-threatening as a dude in his 30s who kills monsters for a living can possibly look. A girl walks past playing with a giant rainbow slinky and Dean suddenly perks up. He sees the prize counter and makes a beeline for it, asking the clerk, the same guy who Sam saw the first time he went into Plucky's, and for our astute rewatchers, our actual bad guy, and also, funny enough, the real-life husband of Julie McNiven, who played Anna on this show. Dean asks him how much for a rainbow slinky. Howard cheerfully explains that they don't accept cash for prizes, only tickets won through hard work and determination. Dean is completely unimpressed by this, grumpy about it even, but Howard says it's double ticket Tuesday if Dean plays skee-ball, and since Dean doesn't have anything else to do other than kill time there, we then cut to the employee break room, now serving as Sam's interrogation room. Jean sits at the table while Sam grills her in an aggressive fashion until her utter confusion breaks her. She's new to the job, just got promoted, and there was some competition for the job. She seems like she's genuinely trying her best, and Sam's still coming down hard on her. Meanwhile, Dean's playing some mediocre skee-ball until Jean comes out of the break room looking kind of frazzled. Dean tosses one last ball without looking, and it lands in the 100-point cup. So as bells ring and lights flash and tickets get dispensed, he doesn't even notice, because he's too busy following Jean out back, only to find her lighting up a joint to calm her nerves. She's definitely not their killer. Back in the interrogation room, two-chipper Howard is getting the third degree from Sam. 
Back at the skee-ball machine, a kid has crawled up the ramp to drop balls directly into the higher points holes. And Tyler, our forlorn son of the other Plucky's employee, calls the kid out for cheating. The kid just smirks and keeps cheating until Dean backs Tyler up, and then the cheater runs away. In unison, Tyler and Dean call the kid a jackass. Aw, a bonding moment. But Dean is perfectly happy to take that kid's tickets. I mean, the kid probably stole Dean's tickets earlier, so fair's fair. Tyler's mom comes out with some pizza for him. He complains about it, and Dean tells him to cut his mom some slack. Dean tells Tyler he's been where he is. The kid's like, your mom made you camp at Plucky's? And Dean's about to say yes. I mean, he was the, quote, mom who parked Sam at Plucky's, but he never had to endure that specific torture. Instead of lying, he tells the kid the truth. His dad hauled him places. And we know what sort of places, where he had to kill monsters, or play bait, or fear for his life in very real ways. Kind of put some perspective on what Sam complains about getting stuck at Plucky's instead, you know? Dean tells him his mom's working a hard job. She's exhausted. And they've cut to her picking up trash off the floor and tells Tyler that he should take pity on the old. Plus, there's free food. Which to Dean, of course, we know free food is always a bonus. But Tyler thinks the pizza is terrible. Tastes like butt. Dean tries it and spits it out in agreement. He notices the placemat Tyler is coloring, though. A giant robot shooting lasers out of its eyes. Dean's distracted from that when Howard comes back out looking not at all rattled from his interview with Sam. He shakes hands with a little kid and goes right back to being Chipper Chipper Howard. Sam's next interview is a stoner in a lion costume. He's real twitchy, even before Sam starts accusing him of crimes, and then throws the lion head at Sam before making a run for it. Dean starts after the guy, and Sam comes up short, once again, because the guy dressed as Plucky is there. Sam essentially sucks it up and bolts past him. They tackle Cliff the stoner in the back alley, and he starts confessing to a meth lab explosion before Dean asks him if he's using kids' nightmares to smoke people, and Cliff is wildly confused by that. He doesn't think he's doing that, no. They get right to the point after that. They don't care about the meth lab, but something seriously weird is going on inside Plucky's. Cliff volunteers, oh, you mean in the sub-basement? He and Saul used to hear weird stuff coming through the vents from the boiler room down there after hours, and Sam and Dean finally have a lead. Back inside, Libby is finally off work and tells Tyler they're leaving. He's upset because someone stole his drawing, and she finally snaps and angrily tells him he can draw another one. Dean gives Tyler a knowing look, and instead of complaining, he apologizes to his mom, and she looks grateful and relieved, like this is the happiest this poor woman has looked <laughs> since we've seen her in the show. But Dean looks alarmed as he realizes what's been stolen. Tyler's robot with the laser eyes drawing 
which might be their next monster up on the murder parade. And Dean thinks Tyler's mom might be the target. Bitchy parent plus sad kid equals wacky corpse, after all. Sam follows them home to keep them safe, while Dean goes in search of the boiler room. Sam asks what the kid drew before he leaves, and when Dean tells him, giant robot with destructo beam eyes, Sam's reply is a sort of distressed, well, at least I'll see it coming. And poor Sam, he will not see it coming, because we have all figured out it's clowns, yes? Clowns, he's not expecting that. Later that night, Dean sneaks into the sub-basement and finds some pretty abnormal stuff. In addition to all the creepy spare clown heads lying around, there's a huge drum with a fire burning in it and a gallery of random children's drawings. One is of a drowning boy next to an old photo of two boys with a cake that says, Happy Birthday, Howard. There's also a few Pluckies-themed dolls and an open spell book. Dean closes the book to see Tyler's stolen robot drawing beneath it. While Dean's looking at all of that, Howard has sneaked in behind him and holds a gun on Dean, forcing him to drop his gun and kick it away, which Dean does remarkably calmly. Dean points out the heavy hoodoo he's working there, but it's nothing that would sick a unicorn on someone. Howard explains there's power in fear, and that mojo ends up on the page when kids draw it. He combines it with something from the target of the spell, and voila! Howard claims he's doing what he needs to do. And again, any combination of that is the worst phrase on the show, right? He believes he needs to punish bad parents to save their kids from them. Dean reaches behind him and picks up the hoodoo book and flings it at Howard, but Howard ducks out of the way. It was just a distraction, though, as Dean grabs up the robot picture and tears it up, thinking he's defeated Howard's plan. Howard finally loses all his good cheer and snarls, that B-word will get what she deserves eventually, but right now, Howard has more important things to deal with. Dean taunts him, like, what, are you going to shoot me? Leave a big mess here? And I think it's funny that Howard's perfectly fine with murdering people, but he can't even say bitch. He can only say B word. Like, okay, Howard. Howard tells Dean he has lots of ways to take care of bullies. Like that FBI guy. He's your pal, right? Five minutes ago, Howard torched his business card with a little something special from his personal collection. And Dean realizes just how much danger Sam is in now. But he's not panicking yet, because fear is a weapon, right? Sam is the target, not Libby. And Howard knew from the first moment he saw Sam that he was terrified of clowns. And he delights in telling Dean all of this as we cut to Sam getting out of his car in front of Libby's house and coming face to face with our clowns. We cut to Sam breaking into the garage again as the title card tells us this is happening right frigging now. Back in the sub-basement, Dean does his best to stay calm, even knowing what hell Sam is likely facing from murder clowns. 
He picks up one of the plucky figurines and asks if Howard painted it himself. Friggin' plucky? Howard gets defensive of plucky, insisting that plucky helps kids. He's bitter that he was passed over for the management job because nobody cares about the kids more than him. Dean's offended by all of this, that someone would kill over that. But Howard truly believes those parents deserved what they got. Dean counters with Saul. Did he deserve that? But Saul was going to tell them about the sub-basement. Was going to out Howard. Couldn't have that. Back in clown hell, Sam is still getting clobbered. He gets sprayed with seltzer from a flower. Back in the sub-basement, Dean questions Howard's motives, still remaining calm. Howard says a good parent puts their kids first. Dean argues that having their parent killed by their worst fear might not be putting the kids first. Like, now they're going to need therapy. But Howard believes they'll be better off in the long run. Dean presses him. Really? You really think that? Howard snaps back with, I would have been. And then Dean puts all the pieces together. Something happened to Howard's brother, and Howard lashes back that it wasn't his fault. It was theirs. We cut back to Sam getting clobbered some more, before cutting back to Dean, figuring out that Howard's brother drowned. Howard lowers his gun just a little bit, like he's reliving that childhood trauma. He was screaming for help, but his parents didn't listen. They never listened. Dean calmly tries to tell him that it was an accident, but Howard insists that they let his brother die. Sam gets bashed by the clowns some more, and then Dean pulls down the drawing of the drowning boy and slowly walks toward Howard. He tells Howard that he bets he still has nightmares, still avoids the water, still is afraid of it, and it's clear that he's hit a nerve. Howard tells him to shut up, but Dean pulls the plucky doll from his pocket and throws it into the fire with the drawing before Howard can stop him. He tries to shoot at Dean, but Dean dives for his gun. Before he can even aim it, though, Howard's drowned brother has appeared to confront him. Howard is terrified, tries to apologize to his brother, tells him it wasn't his fault. But the boy is unmoved. He reaches out, touches Howard's hand, and Howard drops to his knees and starts gurgling and spitting out water, drowning right there in the sub-basement. Back in the garage, both clowns charge at Sam and explode into a massive cloud of glitter as Howard dies and the spell is broken. Poor Sam is just left there spitting out glitter and wondering what the fuck is happening. Back outside Plucky's, Sam pulls up, still covered in glitter. He looks resigned to accept Dean's teasing, holding his sparkling arms out like, okay, let's have at it. And poor Dean is trying and completely failing not to laugh at him, and then he just stops trying not to. As Sam recounts how one of the clowns sprayed him with seltzer from a flower, Dean just loses it but then pulls himself together to apologize to Sam for ditching him at Plucky's when they were kids. But Sam counters that getting beat up by those clowns was therapeutic. 
Dean agrees. He's faced his fear. And oh, right. Actually, they're talking about it now. And that will help you work through your fears, right? Maybe they should consider doing that with some of their other big issues. You know? I mean, actually talking about things kind of helps, right? But since he's feeling so good now, Sam got Dean a little something to celebrate their win. A precious rainbow slinky. Dean is delighted, but also got Sam something. He tosses him a little plucky doll, and Sam is not at all impressed. In fact, as they drive off, we pan down to see that the doll is now lying on the ground, and it winks and laughs menacingly. Because it's not just plucky. We're still dealing with Sam's real fake clown problem, and by that, of course, I mean Hallucifer. And that is how this episode ends. Dean got his rainbow slinky, Sam got glitter-bombed by nightmare clowns, and nothing in the bigger picture of the overarching plot of the season has really changed. But by golly, I feel better for having had this bit of reprieve from it anyway. And I hope you all do too, because things turn grim again next week. Of course they do. This is Supernatural. Season 7, Episode 15, Repo Man. Because they're just not allowed to have nice things for very long. And yes, advanced warning, the dog dies in this episode. Horribly. At least it's off screen. All the glitter will wash off. And Sam's failsafe, go away Lucifer button will finally stop working. But that's next week. Until then, you can find me on Tumblr at Mittensmorgel or at SPN George. You can find me on Discord and Blue Sky as Mittensmorgel, or you can email me at Mittensmorgel at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. And I love this episode, and I would talk more about it and the queering of Dean and their childhood traumas and stuff, but. I don't know if you can tell, my voice is kind of like scraggly tonight. Like I've been talking too much in the last couple days and I'm just losing my voice and it's annoying. You know, it doesn't hurt. It's just scratchy sounding and I'm annoyed by it and I don't want to hear myself talk anymore. So (laughs) I hope everybody else is having a nicer week than I am and has full command of your own voice. (laughs) Anyway. Have a good one, everyone. I'm going to go have some hot tea or something. Jeez. <laughs>